I'm Amanda Reed, and thank you for listening to The History Author Show. This episode is presented by Luke Historians. Learn more about that project at lukehistorians.com. This weekend, the Greek Orthodox Church's celebration of Easter is taking us back in time to the early Christian Church, when Christ's resurrection was celebrated after Passover in order to be historically sequential. After all, the Last Supper was a Passover Seder, which some of you might have celebrated a few days ago. This Easter weekend, it's fitting we take a moment to examine a crucial episode in history, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What happened at Golgotha and the tomb means an awful lot to history. Creeds, covenants, constitutions, and civilizations have been established on principles rooted in beliefs about the true identity of this extraordinary first-century Jew who has the entire secular timeline centered around his entrance into the world. Whether you use the labels B.C. and A.D. or B.C.E. and C.E., the years count down and then up at the same point, even if A.D. 1 is off by a few years. What's so significant about Jesus? One peculiar thing about this controversial rabbi and miracle worker, known initially by his Hebrew name Yeshua, is that he claimed to be a fulfillment of Hebrew messianic prophecy, that he would be tortured, sentenced to a specific kind of death for the sins of the whole world, and would rise again after being dead for three days, and that eventually the magnificent second temple renovated by Herod would be demolished. Even his own disciples doubted these claims for a while. Educator and creator of the TV show Church for Skeptics, Dan Arsenault, offers some insight into the minds of the people who first heard Jesus' bold claims. During the, the 400 years between the last prophet Malachi and the time of Christ, rabbinical schools began to develop where their concept of the Messiah, uh, according to the rabbinical school that you're dealing with, uh, was very specific. Well, Nazareth, where Jesus grew up, keep in mind, and would have known this. Every Jewish boy went to rabbinical school. That's a, that's a great argument for the idea that Jesus certainly was not illiterate, uh, aside from the fact that if he is God incarnate, certainly he's not illiterate. But he would have grown up learning the Torah, the law. So he knew that the interpretation of uh, the Messianic promises and the Messianic concept in Nazareth was very, very much uh, Jewish elitism you might say they were looking for the messiah to come in kick out the gentiles and pretty much give the wealth of the gentiles to the jews just literally turn the tables upside down so when jesus goes back to his hometown they give him as a new rising rabbi gaining a lot of popularity they give him the scroll of the old testament to read he chooses isaiah which uh, deals with the year of jubilee in the old testament uh, which was to be fulfilled when the Messiah came. <clears throat> I, I don't have time to teach all of that, but uh, it was associated with the coming of the Messiah. And so after he read this uh, out of Isaiah 61, he handed the scroll back, sat down, and then he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your eyes. Well, it was common in those days for the rabbi to read the scripture and then give some commentary on it. Well, he immediately says, I know you're going to ask me some, for some miracle. Uh, to prove that my claim is true here. What he does, though, is he turns the tables on the ones in the synagogue where he's reading this by, by quoting Old Testament examples of God blessing Gentiles. He gives two primary examples of God 
feeding a Gentile uh, widow miraculously um, and uh, blessing a Gentile town. Well, that angered the people that he was speaking to so much because their concept of Messiah was not that God would bless the Gentiles. So he's very specific in his answers to them. As a matter of fact, uh, that, that segment ends with them taking him out to throw him off a cliff and he miraculously, I guess he does produce a miracle for him because he just walks right through him and, and, uh, they seem to be immobilized or not able to do anything. My point here is this, that Jesus from the very beginning presents himself as the Messiah, even though his concept of the Messiah was much different than those in his hometown, he presents himself as the Messiah. That's Dan Arsenault of churchforskeptics.org. Check out his episodes at youtube.com forward slash churchforskeptics. Clearly, very striking signs had to appear in Christ's life to convince people that he was the real deal. From the atonement narrative of the traditional feasts to the virgin conception and birth, Mary's betrothed had to see an angel himself to be convinced of that one, to his being betrayed, to his last drink on the cross, to not one of his bones being broken, and many other details in between. The prophecies written centuries before his lifetime form such a composite sketch of Jesus Christ that some figured the early church must have gone back and inserted these descriptions in the Old Testament to make them fit. That would be a bit of a stretch for disciples who weren't exactly ivory tower academics, and the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 20th century flatly disproves such tampering. Jesus being a convincing con artist is even more of a stretch, especially when he's renowned as a great moral teacher. It's just an impossibility that some obscure Jewish carpenter would decide he was going to find all the 300 plus prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament and fulfill every one of them so he could get elected the Messiah and then die for it on the cross, or was that just a plan that became a train wreck? Um, so that's very unlikely. Once again, you can see Mr. Arsenault's Church for Skeptics episodes at youtube.com slash churchforskeptics. Regardless of what these things may mean to our religious convictions or lack thereof, they demonstrate why Christ has been taken seriously throughout history. It's perhaps a testament to the remarkable resilience of the scriptural record that 2,000 years later we have enough material to nitpick and debate details. At LukeHistorians.com you can see an analysis of a supposed contradiction about the gorgeous robe in which soldiers mockingly dressed Jesus. Even at that level of detail, we're able to have a discussion. But what about the hard and fast historical date of such a monumental event? We have dates for American Independence Day, Bastille Day, and D-Day. Is there a certain crucifixion day? Multiple factors can be examined to arrive at the date. We know the Hebrew calendar dates of 14th and 15th Nisan correspond to Jesus' early Passover meal with his disciples and the actual Passover on which he was crucified, the same time the Passover lambs were sacrificed. Pontius Pilate was still in office, and the Jews had recently lost authority of capital punishment to the Romans. These sorts of historical markers put the crucifixion sometime in April or March in early 30s AD. But what about a factor from the field of science? Perhaps something memorable and calculable in space? Acts chapter 2 tells us that at Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, which happened on the Feast of First Fruits, Apostle Peter reminded the crowd of what was written by the prophet Joel some 800 years prior. The sun will be turned into darkness 
and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Peter charged that a blood moon, a lunar eclipse, on Passover was among the prophetic signs visible to anyone at the time. Some scholars, like British expert in ancient chronology and astronomy J.K. Fotheringham in 1910 and Colin J. Humphreys and W.G. Waddington in 1983, proposed that astronomical data indicates that within the time frame plausible due to the aforementioned factors, the ominous lunar eclipse happened on April 3rd, A.D. 33. Independent researchers like Frederick Larson, who was mentioned in our Christmas episode, have also confirmed this finding with astronomical software. If the crucifixion story is strange, the resurrection story is even more bizarre for an ancient record. Grieved, Christ's disciples had given up on his promises, and his female followers insisted on properly laying him to rest with embalming spices three days later. At a time when women's testimony wasn't even acceptable in court, they were the ones cited as the first witnesses of the empty tomb that changed history. They quickly spread the word that they had met Jesus alive. The Pharisees had charged Jesus with blasphemy. So if any evidence existed that they were wrong, and he in fact was divine, they would have to hide it as much as possible to maintain their authority. When the Roman guards reported to the chief priests that resurrection happened, Involving an earthquake and angel of the Lord, the Pharisees paid them to say the disciples stole the body while the guards fell asleep on duty. They assured the soldiers they could keep them from getting in trouble with the governor. The crucifixion and resurrection are considered historical fact in that we know by a variety of sources and historical tests that a man called Yeshua and Messiah was crucified and buried in a sealed tomb, and three days later the tomb was empty and hundreds of people claimed to see and interact with him alive. How the tomb became empty is the timeless question for reason and faith. This special episode is presented by Luke Historians. Learn more about that project at lukehistorians.com. Apostle Peter in this episode was portrayed by Joseph Reed. To learn more on this topic and find the sources referenced in this episode, check out historyauthor.com. Thank you for listening to The History Author Show. Visit our iHeartRadio channel or subscribe on iTunes to enjoy a brand new interview every Monday morning, as well as Classical Wisdom Wednesdays and History in Five Fridays. (laughs) 